Second Chronicles chapter 20 this morning. We're in the Old Testament. Um, think First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. They help you find that. Um, it seems like a little bit of a grayish, kind of a cold, wet, dreary morning. It was pitch black when we woke up this morning. Um, but what a delight it is. And thank you, Dan, for leading us um, with just a joyful sense of worship. Linnell, thank you so much for your acrostic. I think you spelled it right. Uh, we, we are so blown away, uh, Wendy and I are, by your graciousness and your love and your kindness. And from our, our, our hearts, the depths of our hearts, we thank you. We are so undeserving um, of love like this. Uh, but thank you. Next week, we're going to be launching into a, a new series on the Gospel of Mark. I've really, I've never preached through a whole gospel um, after all these years, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, but until then, we have one last really important lesson for life that we want to learn, uh, what I call on the subject of prayer and praise. Um, and really just what we did a moment ago with lifting up our voices in song, that's what we want to talk about. Why, why is it we spend so much time? Why is it we stand up when we sing? Some basic questions that we'll be able to look at the truth of Scripture. It is somewhat of a long text. I'm noticing our time. Forget the clock, okay? Like that whole clock idea really stinks on Sunday morning. Second Chronicles chapter 20. And there's segments I was going to read to get the whole narrative, okay, we're just going to read it all. It is, to be, be perfectly uh, prepared for this, it is a really, it's not just an old story, it's a really odd story from the Old Testament. Many of you, probably most of you, have never heard of it before. You're certainly not very familiar with it. <clears throat> Listen to this from the history of God's people and the amazing lesson. That we can learn from it this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with some of the Munites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazan Tamar. Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. He set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah. They came to seek the Lord's. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord God, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. D did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friends? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine... We will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, 
and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jump down with me to verse 18. It says, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord's. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. When they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army. And they said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Would you bow your heads and and pray with me as we commit our time in this text uh, to the Lord? Father, we ask right now, with this, this narrative before us, that you would open our eyes, that we would see your hands, that we would see your salvation. Father, I thank you so much for your faithfulness, and we lift up your name and we praise your goodness and your glory and your grace. Father, we ask, Lord, that you will continue, if it is your will, to sustain this body, to sustain each person. Help us, Lord, to to leave knowing the important place that both prayer and praise in song hold as a body of believers. We ask this in the strong name of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. As I said, it is somewhat of an odd text. In this particular text, we'll find that the nation Israel, which you read, in a sense, a period of history in the divided nation where Judah is under a threat of attack by, we could say, the Moabites, the Ammonites, by the big bad guys. Okay? And what's interesting here is that the order that comes through by listening to the Spirit of God, is that they don't send in, the enemy is approaching, is surrounding them, they don't send in their commandos, their special forces. They don't send in a SEAL team. Get this, they send in their choir. Now now think about times that we have been under attack before, in 1941, it thrust us into World War II. Who did we send in? Our our schoolboys? Did we send in our... Teachers, no. We sent in the biggest, the baddest, and the best. Same thing in 2001 when we were under attack and it thrust us into a global war of terror. Who did we send in? Our farmers, our lawyers, our doctors? No. We sent in the biggest, the baddest, and the best. 
the U.S. Marine Corps, Special Forces, Delta Force, SEAL Team, uh, Green Berets, they always, in a sense, lead the way into battle. But in this particular lesson here that is really, really, really different, it's a reminder that God does what God wants to do. God does what, what God wants to do. And you're thinking probably what I'm thinking. It's not that far of a stretch. Why the choir? Now, to be perfectly honest, I grew up with a really bad singing voice. And I I actually, officially, I don't know, was diagnosed at one particular time as being tone deaf. Now, what happens when you cannot do something, okay, Generally, what happens in order to compensate or to cover for something you cannot do, this reveals the depravity of our own heart, we make fun of those people who can do it, right? Now, now years later, I'm thinking there's probably a whole lot more value if I could sing right now than if I could throw a baseball. It really doesn't matter. I spent so much time focusing on something, actually even making fun of, forgive me, you choir members. I laughed at people. Why? Because choirs are represented by people who are, who are artists and are sophisticated and they're, they're oftentimes, in our understanding, not the most intimidating fighting force in the world. Wendy and I have had the privilege of sitting and listening to some amazing choirs before. One time when we were just young and dating, we were at the the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., and we listened to the U.S. Army band and chorus. Impressive! But I don't don't know if if they were the ones, if, if there was a battle, are we going to send the band in first? It doesn't necessarily happen like that. And yet what God does here is He completely takes our thinking and our understanding of what we at times may think, well, it's logical, and he turns it, he turns it completely upside down. Why? God will do whatever he desires so that we will have an unforgettable lesson about trusting him. I think that's really why we have a story such as this. God will do whatever is necessary so that we mark the moment and we do not forget. Another reason I think that we have a a story like this is that we will see the immense power that exists when people come together and pray and praise God. Now, you and I know that there are moments many, many moments that we are protected from, from danger. God in His grace protects us from harm. But yet there's other times that God what? In a sense, He, he allows us, He would perhaps, it would sound like, removes His hand and allow us to go through times of attack, times of assault, times of hardship or heartache. Some of you at this very moment perhaps are in the midst of that time. Whatever it may be, it may be a cancer. It may be the criticism of someone close to you. It may be slander that that hurts or sickness that you are facing. 
what we need to understand in the midst of that is that God is doing something behind the scenes. And I think we need to be reminded of that. Do you realize that every single difficult moment, difficult day, God is doing something inside of you that He desires for you to go through. Why? So that you can see Him clearer and hear Him louder. It it is really a work that is taking place for eternal glory. We get so set on this one moment right here. How come God doesn't free us from hardship from this one moment? And we concentrate on that one little thing. And God sits up here and He watches the whole view of eternity. And it's in those moments that we've got to see that God is doing something precious and perfect in us. Even in our text, it says that God gave this land and it will forever be yours. Do you realize that's still the land that belongs to the Israelites today? It's still theirs. No one can budge or move them because God's will is certain and set. Now, with this particular story, what sounds like traumatizing news, the war drums are beating. The the horizon, in a sense, is darkening as the enemy creeps closer and closer, and they are surrounded, and people of God, such as you and I at times, are going to have their faith put to a test in the midst of those hard times. And, And I'm not just saying, well, it's those moments that the battery dies, that that the tire goes flat or you burn dinner. They're hard. That's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about life-threatening illness or sickness. A marriage is under attack. Uh, Your child's morality seems to, what, rest in a balance. I have no idea what my kid's going to do next. I have no idea. It's that moment when there's a heaviness and darkness, how do you presently respond to that? Miserable day. What, what is what are some of the first things that we actually put into uh, motion? What, is, what does Dr. Phil say about this? Do we Google the word desperate? Do we take a pill? Do we just, do, do we take... A drink just to take the edge off, just a little bit. Is that how we respond? Do you, in a sense, gorge yourselves? Perhaps if I just ate more, uh, perhaps if I shopped more, if I spent more, perhaps I indulged in in some sexual relationship, would, would that then satisfy? Do we just close our eyes and stop our ears? Do we pull the covers up over our head? What do we do in those moments? That's... Reality. How do you handle that? Let, let me give you three things very quickly that I encourage you to do exactly what Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat did as he faces times inevitably of danger like you and I will face. Number one, point yourself in the right direction. This is what we need to do first and foremost. Point yourself in the right direction. And we see this is recorded first and foremost with this declaration in verse 3. It says that he was afraid. Now, the first thing that I think we have to do, God has created us 
with emotion. Like, I'm really into, like, be cool and be tough. But you have to be real. And, and when, when there is an enemy that, in a sense, is lurking, you, you can admit it's okay. The, the, king of is, the king of Judah here says, I am afraid. And look at his response. It says, he set his face, he set his face to seek the Lord. It further continues on. It says that he proclaimed a fast. And in verse 4, it says that they assembled. Or another translation says they gathered together to seek help from the Lord. You know, there's some, there's some amazing instruction, first and foremost, Hey, yeah, I, I'm really terrified with how this looks. I'm really terrified that I have, I have no idea where my son is right now. I have no idea where my daughter is. Really terrified that I, I haven't had relationships or communication or connection with my wife for, for, for months. Whatever it is that you're facing, we're terrified at that. Admit that. Set your face to seek the Lord's. And then down later it says in verse 12, and I love the. The, the painful, in all honesty, it's desperate honesty. Admitting, what is this phrase? We, we do not know what to do. But I love this. But our eyes are upon you. Now, how hard is this? I, I, I have to speak to men here for a moment. There's something that we have a hard time admitting. A, we're afraid. Admitting we're wrong admitting we're lost. We, we have a hard time as men. More than one occasion, okay, I have got off the wrong exit. I remember one time and we got lost in the Bronx and we have no idea. And, and, and this is before the days of GPS, okay? There's no recalculating that's going on. And you know the desperate feeling of trying to find someone. Do you think I can trust this complete stranger standing on the street corner? Asking for help. Excuse me, I'm lost. Remember that happened one time, like, yeah, yeah, you are lost. You should not be here. And, and, and that's really the idea that happens right here. What's interesting, not only is this, this Jehoshaphat, this king, is he a man, but he is the one who is responsible to rule and to reign. He's the one who says, what, follow me, everyone. And he's saying, we don't know what to do. We don't have a clue. Now, what's interesting here, and, and if you notice in verses 6 through 12, it is a prayer that is recorded. As, as Jehoshaphat gathers everyone together, they proclaim and call for a fast. In verses 6 through 12, he prays and he ascribes. What is interesting here is what you and I have got to do whenever we bow our heads. We ascribe the sovereign power of God. Acknowledge that. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. There is no one else like you. Jehoshaphat proclaims past victories. God, you've been faithful in the past. Past provisions. You've taken care of us. Past protections. He refers to the dedication of the temple, all reminding of God's past faithfulness and a desire, what? To bring hope and strength to a desperate situation. I, I thought about when I pray. In, in a moment of uncertainty, and you find yourself hitting your knees, bowing your heads, do, do you begin to recount 
and retell of God's faithfulness? I, I really believe that's... We need to, to raise the name of the Lord. Yesterday, we were able to, to be together as celebrate recovery. And I listened to the testimony of a woman. And, and, and in a really difficult and very honest um, testimony, she recounted God's faithfulness. God was faithful. God never budged. God never moved. Over and over and over again. That's what we need to do as we plead for help. Then in the response to this prayer, God sends His, His Spirit upon a prophet. His name is Jehaziel. And we didn't take the time to read verses 13 through, through 17, but there's very specific instruction that is given. We'll review that. Secondly, not only do we first point yourself in the right direction, but we listen for the right instruction. We listen for the right instruction. In verse 13 it says, and there's this most precious scene, and I love this scene. I think it's descriptive of how the church should function in many, many ways. It says, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones. It says, with their wives and their children. Now, now picture the scene here. The enemies are encamped around. The nation Israel sits, surrounded, and obviously scared. But they go to the Lord's, led by their king in prayer. And everyone is present. There's very specific instructions that were given from verses 15 through 17. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid. It says, Do not be dismayed at this great horde. And then there's this phrase. I would encourage you to underline this phrase. It says, The battle is not yours, but God's. Boy, is, is, that, is that a statement that we should live every day with? The battle's not yours. You don't have to lose sleep over this. The battle is not yours, but God's. It continues on tomorrow. Go down against them. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. And then he actually repeats it in the last verse 17, 16 and 17. Don't be afraid. Go out against them. The Lord will be with you. It's this amazing instruction, hearing that there is what? A faithful king who calls people to prayer, a leader who says, let's pray about this. Frightening, let's pray about this. And it says what in verse 18? That they bow his head with his face to the grounds. How often, how, how, how bad does it have to get for you to end up in that position, in that posture? In those moments, are you reminded that, that the battle's not yours? In those moments, are you, are you reminded that tomorrow you need to get up and go out, but you will not need to fight? Why? Because you, you can stand, and I love this, it says, see the salvation of the Lord. Now, while they were bowed, this is the scene, while they're bowed with their faces to the Lord, there were some who stood up. And it says specifically, it says, those... Uh, of the Levites, children of the Kohathites and the Korites, they stood up to praise 
the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice, it says in verse 19. Everyone is bowed before the Lord, and there are a few people. Now, I was thinking about, are these just like a few free-spirited choir members that didn't quite get enough chance earlier on? No, no, that's not who it is. These are people that for, for centuries have been set apart. For decades, they were ones that David put into place as temple singers. That Solomon used when the temple was dedicated. It was these people who were singing. It's this family. But there's more instruction, number three. And finally, what do we do? We trust in the right salvation. As a result of those few that stood up and began to sing, in verses 20 and 21, and they have, again, this scene that unfurls before us. The enemy is still there. It says that they rose early in the morning and they went out into the wilderness. Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Believe in the Lord. And he appointed those who were to sing and to praise him to go out. And I love this. They went out before the army. They went out ahead of the guys with swords and spears. They went out ahead of the marksmen and the charioteers and the archers. And as they went out before the army, they're singing loudly, what? Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love. Some translations use the word in the place of steadfast love. They use the word mercy, which is a direct reflection of what? The fact that you and I don't deserve this. We don't deserve God's provision. We're undeserving of God's protection. And yet his love remains stable. His love remains unscathed in light of how big or how looming or how dark or how scary the enemy appears. Two words finally in conclusion. Spiritual warfare, which inevitably we will face, is a time to admit your need for help and to cry out in prayer to a sovereign God. That's that's the first response. Elements of spiritual warfare admit the need for help and cry out to a sovereign God in prayer. Secondly, we see in closing that spiritual worship is a powerful, powerful weapon against the enemy. And I think this is something that we really don't, we don't spend enough time on. The, the, the power of song. And we see all the way through Scripture, there are amazing times. I love this description in Acts chapter 16 about uh, the, the scene of, of a prison in Philippi. It says about midnight, Paul and Silas were, were praying and they were singing. Now, is that, is that your response in the middle of a difficult time? The first thing, it's on, do you hit some music somewhere to be playing so you can sing along? That's really the important place. It lifts up, it exalts and extols the name and the work, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. David, David was a musician. Psalm chapter 69, it says what? Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. 
you know, as much sadly as I mocked when I was young people who were in choirs and people who played instruments or could sing, how desperately wrong I was. How, how, how little of a place that we try to, to, to have something that is so large and so significant. We try to kind of corner it and push it aside when this is something that we do every Sunday. We begin what? We begin, let's stand together. Let's sing together. Let's pray together. You know, re- realize why we do that. God has a clear plan for us. How many times in... I think when I was young and, and I would be sent out at night to look for a horse that broke out of the pasture and, and it's freezing cold in, in Nova Scotia and it's dark out and those horrible sounds I would make of squawking and squealing, but I would be singing, Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength in my life. And, I, and as desperate, as horrible as that sounded, I'm sure, just as a scare. I, I, I actually think it was, it was beautiful to, to the ears of the Lord. I honestly believe that. Think about the, the power that exists. When a little four-year-old child runs out of the building from church singing or humming, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We understand the idea that says what? I am weak, but he is strong. So there's this, there's this amazing story that is kind of tucked away in the chapters of the Old Testament that I trust bring to your focus and to mine once again the important place of praying together as a body, perhaps setting a fast, perhaps gathering everyone to say, you know what, we're not exactly sure what God has for the future. But that's okay. The battle belongs to the Lord. We're to be faithful. We're to sing. We're to praise. And we will continue to do that. The word of the Lord is very clear. It's described in Hebrews as being what? Quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And this word is the one who teaches us to sing and to exalt and to praise. And so we're going to do that. I'm going to invite Dan, the others, to come, and they're going to lead us in a song of praise to the Lord. Tim, what a neat word from Second Chronicles. Let's do exactly that, stand together and uh, enjoy the privilege and the honor we have to sing praises to our God and to delve into that.